Are you familiar with the term Trojan horse? This term comes from the ancient story where the Greek army gave the people of Troy a giant wooden horse as a gift. And the gift was meant to symbolize to the people of Troy that the Greeks had given up on attacking them and were leaving them in peace. They happily accepted this false gift, not knowing that the Greeks had soldiers inside of the giant wooden horse. Foolishly, the people of Troy brought destruction on themselves by pulling the Trojan horse inside of their impenetrable walls. I want to ask you, is the social justice movement any different than this? It too acts like a Trojan horse because its supporters present secular justice as if it is synonymous with the gospel. But is this so? We as the people of God have to be careful not to bring destructive errors and heresies into the church and to distort the gospel through a cultural worldview rather than a biblical one. Now let's take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I don't think, McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It, a podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another episode of Stop and Think About It. I have with me our usual crew, Steve, the Brooklyn Berean. Say hello, Steve. Hello. Glenroy, the West Indian wordsmith. Hello. With many intersectionality points, I guess. Right, Glenroy? And we have our special guest, Pastor Mark Grimaldi of Grace Reformed Baptist Church of Merrick, Long Island. His website is www.gracereformedbaptistchurch.com. The man with no intersectionality points. <laughs> Say hello, Mark, to everybody. Greetings. And I'm your host, Phil, the sensei. And today on Stop and Think About It, we will address the social justice movement, especially as it pertains to the church. Where is it? Where does it come from? Is it the same as biblical justice? And is the gospel incomplete without it? So let's start by looking at the meaning of social justice. So brothers, is social justice even a biblical term? I would say no. No, no definitely not. No. We never see in the Bible an adjective before the word justice. There's only justice and injustice. And actually, when you add to the gospel an adjective, you wind up taking away from the true gospel. Amen. Very true. Very Amen. true. So let me read the Oxford Dictionary's definition of social justice. Justice in the terms of distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. Now, there's several layers to social justice we have to understand. It's kind of like an onion, and we're going to try to peel back some of these layers. And so one of the aspects is in terms of distribution of wealth. Now, let's look real quick at what happened when the master distributed the talents in the parable that Jesus told. He gave various talents, and everybody didn't get the same amount of talents. Should we say, that's unjust, that's unfair, right? Well, that's what they would say today. That's what they would say yeah, today. And, and there's other examples. Yeah, and Phil, before we even get too far, the fact that it defines distribution as an aspect, 
what it's really saying is that things are not evenly distributed. So you talked about wealth. You can also talk about health-wise, where there's some people who are healthy and who are not, those who have access to, to specialized medicine and those who are not. That's another example that they throw around as well. Even within uh, creation, we see that God places us in different places on the planet and different, uh, with different communities where there's other people who suffer from different kinds of hardships. So in the social justice system, we, we, even God himself isn't just. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about the people who are in Iran and Iraq, Syria right now who are suffering. I mean, is it right that they're there suffering and we're in America where we're kind of relatively free to worship the God? What about gender issues? Does the scripture deal with different gender issues? And we spoke about that in a previous podcast. Uh, there's this decry as well that there's inequality among genders. And they define inequality as, uh, well, male and female. God created them male and female, and he created them with special roles to fulfill. I can't have a baby. That's in, that's that is in, news to me. Right? That's that inequality. Well, you know, I, am I going to protest that? I want to be equal with a woman. Well, I can't be equal with a woman because we're made differently. We're in value and worth. We're the same, but we don't have the same function. Mm. And so people are even trying to make gender an issue of inequality. That's all under the same umbrella about distributing evenly. Yeah. And there's two classes, really. There's the, there's the upper class that is the oppressors, and then there are the lower class, which are the oppressed. And so... If you're black or you're a minority, you're in the oppressed group. If you're white, you're in the oppressor group. And it doesn't matter how successful or how poor you are. If you're a poor white guy living in the Appalachian Mountains with like half your teeth missing, you are the oppressor over uh, like Jay-Z and Oprah who are part of the oppressed group. So people are not individuals anymore. People are part of a group, and this is what the whole movement is about. If you're part of the group, that's who you are. And if you're wondering why this sounds a little familiar, it's because this comes from this thing called cultural Marxism. Marx um, came up with this idea of there is the, these different groups, uh, like you were talking about, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, which is what we would call today the first, the 1% and the 99%, which basically says that there's one group who's getting very, very wealthy off the backs of poor people. And they're taking their labor and, and their work and they're, they're turning that into capital for themselves while, while they're keeping us in like in indentured servitude. So that battle was waged decades ago and capitalism won. Capitalism is a system that's going to – the, promotes the most people out of poverty. It's the system that's the most uh, uh, socially mobile, um, however you want to say. It's beneficial to everyone across the board. They lost that battle. But a lot of the people who are pro-Marxists who believe that system is the right system said, hey, we got to attack this from a cultural standpoint. And so some of the things you just, we described about wealth, about health, about gender roles, is, is, it's, that's how it got infiltrated. And they're saying, hey, there is not an even distribution of these things. Because there's a lack of even distribution, that means it's not fair. And when they want to make society fair, that's what cultural Marxism and that's how it kind of leads to social justice. Right, right. And so this is important because we have to know where does the social justice train come from? And there's so many things hitched to the social justice train, mm. right? All these things about inequality, the Me Too movement is hitched to this, the hands up, don't shoot. Uh, all of these things are hitched to the social justice train and wagon. 
And uh, this is becoming a problem in and of itself because like what do feminists do now if uh, you could just say whatever gender you are, then feminism goes down the drain because yeah. they are saying, I am woman, hear me roar. <laughs> so if, if a man could now define himself as a woman, so there's all kind of problems with this. I was going to ask you, Mark, we're talking about distribution and equality and fairness. In the Bible, there is an equality and fairness. It's under sin, right? Right. Yeah, we're all equal in that category. Every one of us is a sinner. We all need the same gospel, the same Christ. Uh, and so th- there's no, no uh, issue with that. The problem is, I think that as you're saying here, that is that social justice is uh, demanding equal opportunity and also equality of outcome. And so if you have a different situation uh, that in some way looks more advantageous to someone else, or if you have a different outcome, if, if you happen to work hard and, or, or you work a job where you make more money, uh, you're, you're the oppressor, you're unfair, and you need, to, uh, you need to share some of that with other people freely, whether or not they work um, is not the issue. What about this concept of intersectionality? Where does mm. that come in? Like it's you know, the Gospel of John. <laughs> <laughs> what Bible you read? He's got the New World Translation, the same one that says "a God" instead of "God." <laughs> um, yeah, and I think intersectionality is another one that's like you get lost in this thing, and it's just once again, it's trying to get these different classes and different groups, and then you're basically trying to figure out where you fit in that hierarchy. Right? So basically, it's it's how many different oppressed groups do you belong to? Right, right, right. So if you're a black woman, you are uh, part of a an oppressed group. Right. But if you're a black woman who happens to be a lesbian, now you're part of two oppressed groups. You could go even deeper. You could be a black, lesbian, transgendered, Muslim, ah. illegal immigrant. And like you <laughs> said, you, like Steve, you could see how these layers get higher and more complex. So... The intersectionality, picture someone driving down the road and they come to one corner street and now they're at Main Street or if you want to say Minority Street (laughs) and then they drive over here and now they're at Lesbian Street. And so the more intersections that connect in a person's life, the more oppressed that they are and the more oppressive points that they're awarded. Yeah, and they redefine depression. It's not a scriptural descri- uh, description of what the pre- uh, what the oppression really is, which we see, of course, with what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, or when we deal with true justice. Uh, but it's the kind of oppression um, that's uh, that's made up. It's man made, and it's contrary to everything that is in in scripture. And I, and I think Steve made a great point about these classes. It's it's basically you're putting people into groups. So, but because I am black, then I identify with every other black person who has ever lived. And if you're Italian or white, you're you or Italian or Irish or whatever group you're from, then anything they do or any oppression they faced, you also have faced. Exactly. And and I think that goes against the Bible in so many ways because it's individually the sins that I've committed, I repent of. The sins that I've committed, Jesus is dying for. And that's interesting you said that because I hear today people say so if I'm talking to someone who's uh, black and he wants to bring up the issue of slavery, he goes, you don't know my experience. 
um, but you weren't a slave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> none you, of us were, exactly. as far as I know. So that's not your experience. That's somebody else's experience that lived 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now that was a real experience. It was a horrible experience. Nobody ever would say slavery was okay. Yeah. Like I don't know any Christian that would say, "Oh, slavery wasn't bad." <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was horrible. It was horrific. Ripping families apart, selling people like objects. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone condemns slavery. Nobody here would agree with slavery is good. But to say that that's your experience can only be said if you're part of a group. So if you're part of that group, then you are part of that experience, even though you never experienced it. So I am a racist because I'm white, even though I'm not a racist, right? Even though I married a Puerto Rican Jew, even though my mom adapted three black kids, even though, you know, I've lived in a, uh, a mixed family my whole life with different nationalities, that doesn't matter. I'm a racist because I belong to a group that's considered a racist dominant group. That kind of goes against the whole concept of everything that the civil rights was about. I mean, uh, even though he's not a Christian, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that it's not about the color of your skin. It's about the content of your character. So then, you know, I mean, we're, all that's going out the window. But I think we've kind of hit the nail on the head, like you would say, Phil. It's, it, all of these social justice, cultural Marxism, it's reached a critical mass over racial issues right there's there's health there's gender stuff but the the way that i think it's really infiltrating the church is on this racial line because it's hard for someone to say there isn't any racism there's hard to say that there wasn't slavery it's hard for anyone to argue that there isn't some racial stuff that's going on now the the question isn't is it happening is 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 it as pervasive as massive as everyone is as it they seem to per se say it is and I personally don't experience it every day. I don't know about everyone else here. You don't experience it every day, Glenn? No, I do not. But you're part of the oppressed group. I, I'm part of the oppressed group right now with you four, <laughs> you three. <laughs> I have not experienced as much love or an understanding and care from a lot of people that I've known. So I, I don't experience it. Now, I'm sure, like I said, we don't want to belittle the fact that some people do experience hardships in some capacity all the time. But it's not every time with everyone. And I think it's every race has experienced racism from... Uh, yeah. But let's get the, the... There's only one race. Every ethnic group has experienced racism from another ethnic group. Exactly. 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 Yeah. I, the Irish were considered lower than blacks during segregation times. And I'm half Irish, so where's my reparations? Yeah, they, they, <laughs> and, 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 and um, the white people of America and the black people of America... You together were against the Irish as they were coming into New York. So this is this is not a new thing. It is not across racial lines. It's it's really just human nature. Glenn, you're from Jamaica. Yes. Is there racism between blacks and blacks in Jamaica? A massive problem. Um, it's between the dark skinned people like me and the light skinned people. Light skinned people are considered to be smart, intelligent, from a good family, speak well. Black people are thought to be ignorant, dumb. Any kind of pejorative term you can think of. And but they're both black. Both black, both born, both raised, live in sometimes the same neighborhood. Both have a history of slavery. Correct, correct. And, and to show you how pervasive it is, there's a big movement in Jamaica to make your skin lighter. Wow. So there's we call that bleaching, and so the Michael Jackson skin disease, right? So 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 doesn't so, matter if you're black or white. <laughs> so so as a legal immigrant, I, I I and I see racist and I see the talk about racism here. I'm like really confused because <laughs> I'm saying we don't we have maybe five percent white people in Jamaica. They're not a factor. We still have poverty. We still have crime. Not I'm, once again. I'm not saying it's 
synonymous with black people. Right. But that's in every country, in every culture, in every race. There's crime, poverty, class distinctions, and all these kind of things. So you can't put it on race. Sure. So the goal is to have this like utopian society mm-hmm. and that man can actually bring this about. But let me read this verse out of Micah chapter six and verse eight. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice is, did I miss the word social there? Is it, is it in the Greek? You got to add it in. Got to add it in. Yeah. Okay. But to do justice is and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Can the social justice warriors of today bring about what God requires? No. I, I would say, then, why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, yeah, the social justice warriors today can't bring that about because the justice that God is speaking about has to do with his law. It has to do with the ten, keeping the Ten Commandments and obeying him. Uh, true justice, uh, not taking something that belongs to somebody else, not um, looking at somebody else's wife in a lustful way. Uh, that's when you get down to true justice has to do with the law and when you're taking from somebody or robbing somebody from something something that belongs to them. Yeah, and so we had the five solas, right? Solas Christus, Sola Scriptura, and all the other ones. And Steve, you mentioned the new one that seems to be. What's that, the new uh, sola now? Sola feelings. Sola feelings, <laughs> right? Is that, feelings. Is, that, is, that, is that Latin? Or? Nothing more than feelings. <laughs> right, so then we filter our truth through the way that we feel alone my experience absolutely but what happens when you get three people with a different experience whether they're all puerto rican all italian all of those experiences are true (laughs) we get we get confusion that's what we get yeah and if you're filtering justice through your feelings is that really justice? No. Because what if the wind was blowing to the left and the judge on the bench said, you know what? I don't like that guy's haircut. You know, throw the book at him. That's not justice. No. Right? And so um, let's look at this next part we called meandering. So how does it infiltrate the church? And that this has to do with uh, someone's worldview. We did a podcast on worldview and having a Christian worldview. And so keeping that in mind... Uh, There's a syllogism, basically kind of a philosophical term, which says America is racist. Churches are in America. Therefore, what would that mean? Churches are racist. Now, is that a logical argument? No. Why not? Because it's absurd. (laughs) Okay. Explain to me. Yeah. Well, once again, the syllogism, look, it works sometimes, right? You know, uh, all men are born... All men have parents. Okay, that works, right? <laughs> yeah. But 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 what happens is a lot of interplay in that. So every single church cannot be racist. Um, first of all, the, the way to attack this is the first statement, America is racist, is not a fact. It's not a truth. It's not something that's quantifiable. So you start with one thing that's questionable. You add another thing that's questionable, and then you create a, this sandwich of questionability. Good point. Could we say that America in the past had racist laws that discriminated against certain people? Yes, we can. So is America a racist country today? No, no. not 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 economically, not um, politically. Um, are there racist in Absolutely. America? Absolutely. Sure, there are racist people that live. But if you say America 
is a racist country, then even the person who's saying that, who is an American, is has racist. to identify themselves as being a racist. <laughs> and, and a lot of these people who are in this movement have to start off by saying, I am a racist. And we, I think we're going to play a clip later on where that's the that's kind of where you, that's the position you've put yourself in. And I would hope that uh, the people who are listening, many of you are not racist. Well, see, in order to enter into the discussion with people who are woke, you have to start with the fact that I'm white and I'm a racist. Mm-hmm. And that gets me in the club. So if I admit that I'm a racist because I'm white and I, I am woke to that and I understand that, now I have a platform, not so much to speak, but now I can listen because I'm not allowed to really speak. So I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to go real in here. Mark, are you a racist? No, but I'm white. So (laughs) yes. And you know, let me just, can uh, blacks be racist? Glenn? Yes. Yes. Now the argument's going to be from that. What we talked about intersectionality where there's hierarchies that because you're on, I'm on the lower stratus that I don't have power. And so they're going to say, no, I can't be racist. So I have a question for Mark. If there are people in our nation who are racist, who were in the past and are now, what is the only worldview that can bring any kind of correction to this sinful uh, thought pattern? Yeah, the only way that we can heal true race and for those who are racist is through the gospel. Um, it's to it's for the individual to be uh, to recognize that they're that they've sinned, to be confronted with that sin. Uh, and as they're convicted, that they would repent, that they would see that their only hope uh, is not to uh, just in do- making things right and, and those kinds of things. First, they have to come to Christ, see him as, as, their, as their only need for salvation. And through that, uh, as Christ would change them, they will then be those who, who love all people and who seek to, uh, to benefit and help all people. And that's the, only, that's the only cure for true racism. So it sounds like you're saying that we need a heart change we need to have regenerated hearts not to be woke. We need a new heart, not skin pigmentation is the issue. And I think a lot of this stuff comes out of the theory of evolution. And, and, and what is woke? Again, we don't want to jump around throwing these terms because a lot of people don't know this stuff. Okay, so woke would be you're awakened to a certain reality that you are inherently racist and that you just agree mm. with the uh, cultural worldview that America is a racist nation. Because you belong to the oppressor group, you're a racist. And again, it's always about the group. So listen to this. In the sports world, what color people, if you will, dominates the National Hockey League? Chinese. <laughs> Canadians. That's right. Hey, Canadians. There, are, there are at least two black hockey players that I know. <laughs> One was a goalie. One was a goalie. He was, getting puck, go. he was getting puck shot at him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, we would say injustice, right? The culture would, would decry injustice. Mm. Yet, who dominates both the NFL and the NBA? Blacks. Blacks. Yeah. yeah. White people can't dunk, though. So, <laughs> you know. so do, you, do you see that there is such a contradiction of terms? How can the NHL be unjust and then the NBA and the NFL, well, they're just? Or, 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 or rap music, you know, predominantly black. I mean, you know. Jazz, predominantly black. It, it, that's the trick with this. Because we're, they're not in the oppressor group or they're, they're in the oppressed group, then it's okay when there's an uh, imbalance in there. So it's not really equal distribution. 
Sure. And when you think about it, we have black churches, right? And if nobody says there's a problem. Now, if your neighborhood is predominantly black, you're going to have, you know, the people that come to your church look like the neighborhood. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a church where really there's no black people in the community, then that's how it's going to look. Your church should represent the community that it's in. Yes. Now, now Phil, that's that's the point. I think this is how we, it kind of got into the church. Now, Pastor Mark, you're you're a pastor. You have a church. Now, how do, how is your church formed? Do you go there and you say, okay, well, the population's X seventeen percent black. There's X amount of Asians. It's a, all right. So I got to make sure my congregation is matching the 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 away America's demographic. How do you, how do you form a church? We we have we have different pews for different races. And no, I'm just kidding. No, no we <laughs> we we form our church by we we preach the gospel. You know, we we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We welcome all people, and we have we have a mixed batch in our church. Um, we have black, we have Haitian, uh, we have Chinese. So we do have a mix in our church, and we all welcome each other as brothers. We don't look at each other based on the skin. So now, now is your neighborhood where the church is, is it mixed? The neighborhood where we were, well, in a Reformed church, a lot of times you draw from, from neighborhoods outside of your own. So that's where you'll get a lot of different kinds of, uh, of, of races or ethnicities. But our neighborhood is primarily white. It's, it's, in fact, it's primarily Roman Catholic and Jewish. So you have a white neighborhood, but you have actually a mixed congregation. Yeah. No. Is that something that you sought out, or is it just happened that way? No, it just it just happened like that. Yes. So, so you presented the gospel just the way it is, and people from different races are coming. Exactly. Yeah, we didn't say, you know what? Well, we we have to be more diverse, and we don't have enough of this race in here. Let's go out to this area and just look specifically for these people. We preach the gospel to all nations, to all people. So you have no Acts six issues where some minorities are being overlooked. No, no, we don't, <laughs> we don't have that issue. So, 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 so this goes to the fundamental heart of it. So, so when they make this racist claim, they'll say, look, there's predominantly white churches and there's not a lot of black people in those churches. But that, that, that doesn't, that's goes against what the Bible says is which you form a church and then you, it's made up. It's a voluntary army made up of the people in that neighborhood and they have to voluntarily come there. That's how it works. Yeah. And so that charge in and of itself has a fallacy at the, at the heart of it, which is, it's as if we're hiring people. It's like, we're not hiring anyone. We're going to present the gospel. And I'm, I'm sorry, if, if you happen to be predominantly a white neighborhood, it's going to be predominantly white church. What attracted you to our church, Glenn? Grace Baptist, because uh, skin color? No. Okay. So, so, so it's in Queens. I live in Brooklyn. I, before I went to Grace Baptist, I was going to go all the way out to Long Island. It's an hour ride. Because I'm looking for doctrine. I'm looking for how they conform to the Bible. And I wasn't looking at that demographic. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I first was saved, I searched high and low for a black pastor. Because I felt they're going to really understand me. They're really going to, to know what I'm going through. As I read the Bible, I realized I need a pastor who understands sin. I need mm. a pastor who's going to mm. mature me and grow me. And I did at that point, didn't care what the color was. Well, obviously, too, when you and with hearing you say that, Glenn, I'm thinking about the scriptures themselves. Um, obviously, the the Lord Himself again has some serious social justice problems because the entire Bible was written pretty much by Jews. Uh, you have a few Greeks, and you have Mark in there, who's 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 uh, not necessarily who's not Jewish, but uh, it's written by olive skinned Jewish people. The whole mm. the whole Bible. 
Uh, and so that's a problem. There's no equality of, of opportunity there uh, given to us by who God ordained to, to give us the scriptures. And let me jump in on that because I had someone question me concerning, um, is it possible that the Bible was written incorrectly because of who wrote the Bible according to their ethnicity? Mm. So now some people are actually questioning the scriptures right. and the vessels that God chose to use to write the scriptures. So I'll say to somebody, well, have you ever written anything? And they, they said, yes. And I said, well, was it you or your pen? Right. So it's really your pen that did the work and it was your mind. And so God used men like pens to pen his scriptures and God can use any vessel. But he chose to speak through these particular vessels to write what we now have as the scriptures. And so to question that is really to question the author of the Bible. Yeah, let, let me share t just two quick experiences, and then I want Steve to share his experience because many people filter justice through their experiences. Sola feeling. Yes. So I was take I, I was I pastored in Harlem, okay, and so you can imagine the skin pigmentation of people in Harlem, right? And I had a youth group there, and I was taking them to see the movie The Passion of the Christ. And as I was taking them toward the theater, Magic Johnson Theater. There was a group, they called themselves the Black Hebrew Israelites. And so they have this picture um, that they're stomping on and they're saying, this is your white Jesus. And they're stomping on, they're throwing it on the ground and they're looking at me and, and they're pointing at me, you know, this is the God that you worship, this white European Jesus. And I said, guys, what are you doing? I have no idea what Jesus looks like. And so the picture you're stomping on is not offending me because that's not Jesus. That's a picture somebody drew and they're calling that Jesus. So I said, you know, you're really wasting your time. And I took the kids in to see the movie and these uh, black Hebrew Israelites were trying to disparage the kids from following me because of the skin pigmentation that I have. Now they know nothing about me, but I guess I would be in half of a tribe because I'm half Puerto Rican. So I'd be in, I think Ephraim, it would be the tribe that they would. I, I was me told to. as a Jamaican, I'm the tribe of Benjamin. I was very excited about that. You oh. are Benjamin. You got to say with that. <laughs> Oh, oh! Now you're gonna explain to me how to be Jamaican? I'm, they call me an Edomite. They call me, Edomite. I'm that's an Edomite. not good, brother. So you that guys are in the better. Good. camp to me. Now, right on the same street, because that's around on 125th Street. I walked down the road one time, passing out gospel tracts, and there was a guy who had pictures of uh, slaves and slaves that were whipped and things like that. A lot of pictures we've probably seen in magazines and books and on television, things of that nature. Did those things happen? Absolutely. So he points to me and he says. Um, what nationality are you? And I said, where were you born? He said, America. I said, oh, so we're both American. He said, what race are you? I said, oh, the same race as you, human. And so he's getting frustrated. He goes, where are your ancestors from? And I said, the same place your ancestors are from. He goes, where's that? I said, the Garden of Eden. I said, you and I are brothers. We're both from Adam. Mm. And, and he was like so upset. And he said, but you're a white slave master. I said, the only slavery in my life has been being a slave to sin, you know? And so um, I said, listen, uh, that, <laughs> that, that doesn't fly. I said, I was a slave to sin and I need Christ. And it sounds like you're a slave to sin and you need Christ as well. And he got very upset with me. Now, if I were to judge all black people through that lens, then my best friend who's from Kenya named Evans, he wouldn't be my best friend. But I love this guy. I mean, I've learned so much about prayer from him. It's it's off the chain. All right. I love Glenn. I mean, it doesn't matter. But I can't judge all people because, again, social justice is about group thinking. Mm. But 
can I say all black people think the same? Do all Hispanics think the same? No, not at all. And when God redeems a heart, we think differently than the world. So really, Amen. there's only two Amen. races, if you will, right? There's, spiritually speaking, there's the race of the redeemed and the race of the unredeemed, spiritually speaking. Physically, there's only one race, the human race. But if I'm redeemed, then I'm going to live differently, think differently, speak differently, and treat people differently than those in the world. And Steve, can, right. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, real quick before you go to Steve. And in a house of black people, we all don't think alike. Just, what? No. Are you serious? We disagree. We have arguments. You ever been to a black barbershop? It, it's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've shared your experience with me, you know, growing up and all that's sure. happened to you. So, can you take a couple minutes to share with us? Well, yeah, because I, I love when people tell me about white privilege. I say, I miss that bus. I'm the youngest of six kids. When I was young, my parents got divorced. So my mom ran away with a, a, a man who was very abusive. My, he became my stepfather and he used to beat me. Very abusive. And uh, so I began to respond and act out and run away. And so I stole money from him one day and got on the bus at 13 years old and ended up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I was like, now what do I do? I got robbed by two black guys by knife point. Right. And I went back home eventually. And my parents gave me over to the state. They declared me ungovernable. And so I went to Florida school for boys at Okeechobee. So this I'm 13 years old. I'm like a little skinny rail of a kid. Uh, No street smarts at all. Didn't grow up in the streets. And so now I'm in this Florida school for boys at Okeechobee, about 250 black and Spanish kids. There's four white kids, two hillbillies, this other guy and me. And so I'm from New York. I'm kind of still a New Yorker. You know, I've been in Florida a few years. It's 1977, and guess what TV show came out? Series, miniseries. Alex, Alex Haley's Roots, right? I got beat up every day. I was called a cracker. I, I never heard that. I was like, what's a cracker? I said, you a cracker. They would call me stupid, crazy white boy, cracker, honky. Uh, every day, they would beat me up. I would get blankets thrown over my head. They would beat me up and run away, right? My grandmother would send me care packages, and one of the uh, uh, guards was black. And he would say, hey, let me take this. I'll lock it up for you. So he locks it up. I come walking out the next day, and I walk in the rec room, and all the black kids in the guard are eating my food, and they start laughing at me. Stupid white boy, you know. So I went through this for like nine months. But here's the thing. Am I going to say that all black people are racist and evil because of what I experienced from a few knucklehead kids in 1977 who were sinners just like me? I have three siblings who are adopted. They're black. Do I not love them? Do I blame them for what happened to me in 1977 in Florida School for Boys at Okeechobee? If you look at my wedding picture, I got saved and I went to a church in Brooklyn. I was the minority. It was mostly black. My best man was black. My, uh, my, my groomsmen were black. I was the only white guy in my wedding party. But do you think I did this because I'm trying to prove something? No, because I love them. They're my brothers. And I don't see skin color. Now, I'm not colorblind to say I don't see Glenn as black. I do. But I'm colorblind in the sense that I'm not going to judge Glenn based on his skin color, but on his character. And so I'm not going to let my past experience with a, a, a ethnic group Make me look at anyone different because of their skin color. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're new in Christ. And I think Amen. we're, like, we're when, new. When you just talked about the God who took all your, your, your cookies and all those things and gave them out, I thought you were presenting socialism. <laughs> <laughs> he was presenting socialism. Redistribution. Exactly. It's Redistribution fine. of cookies. <laughs> look, the other people weren't getting care packages. I'm sure those cookies were good. I, to this day, I don't know what they tasted like. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is about i think as you as you said steve it, it comes back to that idea of thinking um as being a part of a group and it, it gives you almost an excuse to ignore your character when the scriptures 
that is the focus. It's on the individual and on mm -hmm. the character of each individual. It's representing the problem with the person who's in the mirror uh, and not everybody on the outside and the community and I'm a part of this community and, and trying to take away from our own sins or put sins on others. It's, it really comes down to the individual and I think that, that we, it's important that we continue to recognize that. And, and what does that do? If, if it's not on an individual level, well, my life is bad because of white people. You know, if a black person commits a crime, well, come on, look at all the stuff he has to deal with. It's, wouldn't you rob if you're in this situation? And so there's personal responsibility goes out the window and everybody's problems can be blamed on one group. The other group now, by definition, then has to defend itself and react. So you, you're kind of creating this, 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 um, this attack culture where one group is pitted against another. And that is the purpose of cultural Marxism. It's to destroy us from within. And it's kind of this Trojan horse thing. But like, to how it pertains to the church, once again, because we can stay out there all day, yeah. to get it back to the church, I think a question you we were talking about, Phil, outside of this was, well, well, well why, why do we need these tools? Like, how do, they, do these tools help with the gospel? Yeah, so, uh, Steve, what was the name of the guy from Southern Baptist Convention that spoke about having critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools? Do you remember his name? His name was Curtis Woods. Okay, and he said that the Southern Baptist Convention wanted to adopt critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools. Well, just very quickly, what is critical race theory? Critical race theory um, comes under the umbrella of, of systemic racism. I think it's, it, it has to do with the idea that there's an assumption that, uh, that racism uh, is within the system itself. So, for example, from an American standpoint, we could look at Americanism at its roots and we can say that because uh, Americans had slaves when we had... Uh, gained our freedom from Britain, automatically everything that had to do with that freedom is must be racist. It's tainted by that racism. It's it's guilt by association. It's the assumption that um, that capitalism uh, is is a racist system and needs to be discarded because when capitalism was promoted in our country, um, there was uh, slavery had existed. So automatically the system itself is racist, and so we need to now undo and get rid of that system, which is going to wind up bringing us into socialism or communism. Um, so critical race theory has to do with that. It's, it's, it's inherent within the system itself, simply because people as individuals had slaves and didn't apply that to slavery. Uh, they throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. And I, and I think it also talks about white supremacy and its role in the founding and how it's so pervasive. And so they're basically just kind of trying to unravel its influence. And this is where we get this white privilege and these other things that get thrown in there. Yeah, I, I missed that bus, Glenn. The white privilege bus. And so then we have this other term, intersectionality, which we've used, which is kind of like driving down the street and you have all these intersections. But do you know what this phrase originally came from? This term, intersectionality, was coined in 1989 by Kimberly Crenshaw. Do you know who that is? No, I was a little toddler at that time. <laughs> she was a political activist and a radical feminist. feminist in order to describe oppression against women on specific points of intersection. So she created this. Did she create this out of a biblical worldview? No. no. It no. was impossible for her to do so. 
And so today it's used in a more broad sense, in short, intersectionality, as it has been defined, is discrimination based on overlapping layers of individual classes of discrimination. We're back to the groups, aren't we, Steve? Yes, we are. Right? And so here's the issue, right? Actually, let me just continue. It's when a person is subjected to discrimination for more than one classification, such as a woman who's black and lesbian. She would classify under this line of reasoning for three basic discrimination marks, being a woman who is black and being a lesbian. According to the definition of intersectionality, where these three marks intersect is the focus of her greatest and most severe discrimination, which places her at the greatest risk of oppression in our culture. Again, it's part of the group. Now, now how... (laughs) How does this have anything to do with the gospel? And, and what what to, what do these tools do to help with any of this? Things? Well, we need to repent of that. That's how we have to do the gospel. It's 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 a sinful theory and it's wrong. And so whoever owns that needs to repent of it. That's about the only thing it has to do with the gospel. Because because yeah. because I was I was raised and I've been trained in the Bible to understand that we are a new creation in Christ. That we're renewing our minds in the scriptures. That we're trying to be more and more like Christ. And in being more and more like Christ, all these issues get done away with. But you're saying, no, that's not enough. We now have to try to start doing these intersectionalities and matrix of domination and trying to figure out where we all fit in the sinful narrative. And once we figure that out, then we're going to have to what? Repent. Yeah. And so, Pastor Mark, what tool are we supposed to use to fix or to uh, uh, overcome the sin in the hearts of people? What tool do you use in the pulpit? Yeah, we use, whether it's in the pulpit or counseling people individually, it's always the scriptures, right? Wow. We counsel people through the word of God. And is, is that a new thing, Mark? Is that, it like, is that <laughs> it a nouveau church? You know, just just a, uh, real quick on a note, a side note, uh, adding to what you just said, Glenn, um, it's important to see how as you as you stated at the beginning of the program, the, the whole Trojan horse concept of how social justice in, uh, invades the church, this is exactly what was going on in the scriptures. It, it, it has a different label on the outside, but it's the same root. In, in Colossians, when people were being told that they had to have a certain kind of uh, diet structure, if they didn't eat certain foods, they would be more holy, uh, or if they, uh, they didn't partake in certain kinds of, of activities that were enjoyable, uh, they would be more holy. And, and Paul rebukes that sternly and, and basically says they're adding to the gospel. Uh, this is le- another one of those uh, those holier than va- holier than thou uh, opportunities that cloak the gospel and create something, create this system of sanctification or holiness that takes away from true holiness what God calls us to grow. And not only does it take away from that, it shields it and also takes us into a completely different gospel. So it's destructive all around. And here's the verse I believe you're referring to in Colossians chapter. 2 and verse 6, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What is critical race theory and intersectionality? Isn't it right here? Didn't Paul already pull Kimberly Crenshaw's card by saying, don't listen to her because these are the vain philosophies of the world? And then we have Christians saying, no, we're going to use her set of cards rather than the scriptures. So I'm saying, and I think you guys would agree with me, this is a direct attack on sola scriptura. Boom. 
like let's say once again follow it to this logical con- conclusion we fix all the racial issues we fix all the gender issues you can use whatever bathroom you want to use everyone's happy wealth is distributed equally churches are 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 reflect the the population exactly to the number we have equal thrust to black uh, theologians as white theologians we still have sin we still have a world that needs Christ. We still have systemic problems in the world that cannot be fixed because this is fixing the outside of the plate. So in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, uh, Peter puts forth that we have everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Mm. He granted us his precious promises. If scripture is the final arbitrator on all things, why do I need these analytical tools that are the vain philosophies and human traditions of humanity? That is the point. We, the gospel is a power unto salvation. The gospel, we, we got to preach the gospel to ourselves, to others, in every situation. If we're trying to be more and more like Christ, where is racism in that? Where is sectionality? Where is all these different distribution things? And we talk about acts. People gave of themselves freely because they knew the lack of importance of this world. And so the world is trying to free itself with its own tools. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. How complete is complete? I like that. Right? How complete is complete? So if scripture is all that we need to be complete in the ministry of the gospel, then what else do we need but the scripture? That's all we need. That's that's all we need. And I think that's my biggest problem with this social justice movement. It's not I, I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on the the, the, the history and the sure. mechanics of it. It's 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 I have everything I need in the gospel, in the Bible, in in how we're being instructed. And now you're telling me, no, 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 but you gotta put it into this framework. And we talked about biblical worldview. No, my biblical worldview is enough. Yeah. That's and, it. And and the danger is, and we're gonna talk about that, but we see that the SBC resolution number nine. And and that's a Southern Baptist. Convention, yeah. yeah. They adopted critical race theory as an analytical tool. So now you're going to have pastors who are coming out of these seminaries that were once solid, and some still are, but there's issues with them, that are going to be learning to view life through the lenses of critical race theory. And if you're viewing life through the lens of critical race theory, what lens are you not viewing life through? Exactly. A biblical lens. The scriptures. You can't. And sadly, sadly, the the um, a lot of these seminaries today are are already denying the the sufficiency of scripture or the uh, the the scriptures alone are sufficient, right? So they're, they're, they've set the bar already for this kind of collapse to take place in these in a lot of these even good colleges. So now we have woke that has replaced being born again, mm, new gospel, so, new gospel. So we have these phraseologies being changed. Jesus said that you must be born again or you will never see the kingdom of God. But we have people like Eric Mason saying, no, you got to be woke as well. And woke doesn't even come anywhere in the scriptures. It comes from culture. It comes from the black liberation theology movement, not from the lips of God himself, not from the authors of scripture. Eric Mason, why are you using these ungodly terms? Shame on you for doing it. Amen. Yeah, because basically you're saying, now that you're aware, now we've told you that you are facing these oppressions that you didn't even realize before, which kind of tells me you weren't oppressed. Now everything has to be under that framework. 
how can you then say that's gospel adjacent? It's not. And the problem is, too, when you, when you use this term woke, and you see it happening all the time, you wind up treating people who are disagreeing with you as if, as if they're, they're spiritually dead. Right. And so they don't have a say. So if I try to, uh, to say, no, I don't agree with that, right away it's, well, you're not woke and you're white. Uh, and so you have no say, you're a racist, and unless you are woke, which, which is an insult to the Holy Spirit to even use that terminology with this, um, unless you're woke, you, you can't understand because these things are spiritually discerned. So it's replacing regeneration with this whole concept of woke. It's Gnosticism. Yeah, I like what Josh Bice said, and uh, you should all listen to his materials on intersectionality. He did a great job. Um, he said, the purpose is to make progressive politics sexy, change power structures by tearing down power structures, build on the woke foundation, which is the new church growth movement, growth movement. The Holy Spirit awakened certain people and not others to your point, Mark, which it is an attack on the Holy Spirit, is it not? And when you are woke, you use the tools of intersectionality to empower others in the movement. Does this sound like the gospel no. or socialism? Socialism. It's socialism. socialism. Cultural Marxism. The, this is again. not the gospel. And you have people who are brilliant men. These guys are not stupid. These guys are smart. You have guys in the SBC who are embracing this and who don't even speak up against it and kind of like don't want to be the voice to say no because then they're going to be called a racist. And, and, and we're saying the SBC and we're kind of focusing on them because they're, they're the ones who were fighting against this before. It's not so much that we're just picking on them. Everyone's doing it, but they used to be against this. And so what's happened? How did this happen? Ten years ago, they, they couldn't say half the things they're saying right now. Yeah, they made it. They made a, a a wrong a wrong turn at at the intersection, if you will, um, mm-hmm. and now we have uh, theology has been replaced with victimology. Scripture has been replaced with sociology, but scripture is sufficient enough. Curtis Woods, I would say to you, how complete is complete? Mm. If the scriptures are complete. We do not need intersectionality as an analytical tool because we have what Paul said makes us complete for every good work, the word of God alone. And that's really like the so what of this whole thing. Imagine this. Steve is left on a a deserted island. He only has a Bible in his hand. Steve, will you ever come up with these social justice terms just by reading the scripture alone? Absolutely not. You would never come up with it. You would real. You could realize you're a sinner. You can realize Jesus is the Messiah, that God is the only true God. You see the Ten Commandments. And you see that there are groups in the Bible like Jew and Gentile that didn't get along and they became one in Christ. So that's one thing. A second way is if you're a student of history, of church history, you're going to look at this little social justice movement, this little movement we're going through and laugh and say, hey, this is not, this is something that we've been going through from generation to generation. The Bible wasn't meant for America. The Bible wasn't meant for Iran. It wasn't meant for 1945s in Germany. The Bible was written for all humanity for all time. And it's sufficient 
for all these things to go back to what you were saying phil and when we now these intellectual people who we would say are very smart people are saying no 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 everything before has been mistaken now we have the lens by which we should interpret everything else and so from the simplistic version to the historical version it still makes no logical sense yeah and i think it's it's as you said i think we need to stress um, again, that this we're not talking about some fringe group, you know, that's involved with grave sucking and, and things like that. We're talking about some some people we have a lot of respect for uh, in in evangelical Christianity. And one one yeah. brother uh, had said as well that that he he has his whole life been preaching a truncated gospel. That his gospel has been truncated because he has not come to acknowledge uh, some of these issues. Is that Paul Tripp? That's Paul Tripp. Yeah, who, who I love in, oh. in so many ways. Hurts my heart. <laughs> Hurts my heart. You know? And so do we need to attach these terms to the gospel? Is the gospel incomplete without these terms? No, no I would no. say the gospel, the Bible is inerrant and sufficient. Right. Period. And so Second Timothy three sixteen, which I appreciate that Steve read, Paul's instructing Timothy on what tool he needs. And he never mentions intersectionality. He never mentions critical race theory. He never mentions being woke. Was there something wrong with Paul? Or was there something wrong with sinners? And was there something that Timothy needed to know about the only tool that he should utilize? Amen. Amen. And and, and I think we can basically say it's what grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone, right? You know, that's what's going to lead us to be regenerated. That's the only thing. That we need, and I'm telling you, I, look. And I had, I have had. Whenever you're evangelizing with people, you're going to reach people, and they have all these theories and everything like that. And I, and I always tell them, I'm struggling just to 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 to, to be Christ-like. You have, to, if you have time for all these other things, and you've mastered Christ-likeness, th- that's amazing. Because I'm still trying to learn to be a good father. I'm still trying to learn how to how to how to interact with people in the right way. And now I I don't have the wherewithal and time to then fix. America in the same time when I haven't even dealt with my own self. Ooh, true story. And when you when you look at uh, the history of, of uh, the church, especially in Acts, you look at the early church and see how the gospel spread, uh, and they were commanded to go outside of Jerusalem into Samaria and into uh, into uh, all of Judea and Samaria and into all the nations. It's interesting that when you watch the Apostle Paul, right, he spends so much time at Antioch. Um, they they go to, to Samaria to preach the gospel, and you never say you never see them saying, "Look." Uh, all this history between you and the Jews, Samaritans and Jews, they hated each other. The Syrians up north, uh, they hated uh, the Jews. All this history, that he doesn't go back and say, well, look, let's go back and deal with ancestors and, and the problems that you had with each other. And, uh, and he, he goes right into the gospel uh, and brings everyone on the same footing in the same playing field to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right from scratch. That's, that's the template we have. Amen. 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 And so... To use uh, Glenn's phraseology to wrap it up in a bow. So if we're not supposed to use the analytical tools of critical race theory, intersectionality, and wokeness, what analytical tool do we use? What is the plumb line or anchor of truth? It is sola scriptura, the scripture alone. So we're certainly not saying that you can't use Bible dictionaries and uh, commentators like John Gill and Spurgeon and others. Yes, use those, but realize those guys are Christians. Kimberly Crenshaw and others, Marks, they're not Christians. So why are we going to look to the ungodly to help us to interpret Scripture? We would be absolutely foolish and wrong and it would be sinful if we were to appropriate those things. 
Well, stay tuned for part two of Social Justice, The Trojan Horse. And thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It. 